All right, why don't you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, please. The message is entitled, Eve, Wife and Mother. Genesis will be our first text, and we'll go into the New Testament and get a commentary on that, and we'll expand it. But Adam must have um, been overjoyed at the sight of Eve, knowing that she would be the, his counterpart and the first mother of the human race. Though we certainly can't understand how he feels and thinks about that because he's totally different than we do now. They were without sin nature. Uh, they were both naked, not ashamed. And so it's a whole different thing. But Eve was created to help Adam according to God's design. Yet her own will would cause her to be a costly distraction to the revealed will of God. Yet the woman would still be the instrument of blessing to bring forth the Messiah. God is totally different than us. Uh, he is so compassionate, so good. So what I want to do is look at Eve, uh, the first mother, um, from three vantage points. First, Eve the helper. Then we want to look at Eve the deceived. And then finish up with Eve the blessing. It, it comes full circle. The beginning is here in Genesis 2.18, Eve the helper. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Eve was to be the companion of Adam for life because God says it was not good for man to be alone. That's why every human being is going to be married by design. The exception is celibacy. You don't need to. There's no desire there. And the reason is simple. Is that if... Humans don't get married, there's no more babies, and that's the end of the human race. It's simple. That's why this uh, whole policy of abortion and euthanasia and all this quality of life is so scary. Every nation in the world is below the uh, recovery of population except for the United States. Even if all the nations began to have babies now, they would not recover in the next 20 years. Only the United States is above it. Pretty scary. Now, Eve here was one after his kind, as you know, the creation. Eve is called Isha, from man. Ish is man. Literally, uh, Isha here, man s. In other words, it refers to her relationship to the man. Um, Eve was taken from the curved side of Adam, as you know, bone, flesh, and blood. Genesis 2, 21 and 23 tells us. Not from the head of man to rule over him. Not from the foot of man that he might trodden her underfoot. But from the closeness of his heart, as been said. That she would be his companion, as completion as we'll see, and to be with him forever. Um, she was able to speak with Adam. As you know, Adam could speak to the animals, but the animals couldn't speak back. But here's a person just like his himself, in kind, they could express their desires of joy for each other. They could express their affection and pleasure uh, for and with each other. And she was also to be protected by Adam in, in this uh, declaration. Adam being the stronger of the two to defend her, uh, being stronger, the, the greater uh, skeletal frame. And she was to be provided for by Adam, even though God put him in this paradise, yet as, as the order goes, God created Adam first, and we'll see this, and he was the head, the responsible one for her. Uh, this has always been, and historically, throughout human race, this is the way it's been, except for now modern day scenarios. Um, but Eve was also to be 
the complement of Adam in life, not just companion. She was created different from Adam. Uh, she was a female, Genesis 127, and he was male. Great difference, male and female. She was created weaker than Adam. Adam, again, a heavier muscle frame. Um, and then Peter, she says that the woman is the weaker vessel. Automatically, we think that the man is the, uh, the, the stronger vessel. But no, it's the woman's a weaker vessel. Adam is the weak vessel. Weak, weaker. Both of them need Christ. Independence on God. Without God, it, it, it's a double weakness. All right? They're compliments, as we'll see. And so, Eve here was created in submission to Adam. Now, right away, as soon as the word submission comes up, women's ear go, eh. Okay? You've got to get the culture out of the way. You've got to get the indoctrination out of the way. You've got to get into the text what it says in context here. Adam was created first, Eve second. It's very clear, chapter 2, 7, 22, 1 Timothy 2, 13, gives us a commentary. Eve's submission never means inferiority any more than the submission of Jesus to the Father means inferiority. The biblical submission is for efficiency and effectiveness, and you get that in 1 Corinthians eleven three. The head of Christ is God. So Christ submitted himself to the Father. And if you're going to say submission of the woman to the man is inferiority, then you have to conclude that Jesus is inferior to the Father. Who's able to say that? Of course not. Efficiency. And so Eve and Adam were both in submission to God, a parallel that is given in Scripture for marriage in Ephesians 5.21. Notice she also was created to complete Adam. Um, Adam was uh, not taken from Eve. 1 Corinthians 8 tells us that. Adam was not created for Eve, but Eve for Adam in 1 Corinthians 11, 9. Now, that offends a lot of women because of the cultural feminism. It's absolutely wrong. It's just the facts. Adam was created first, and then Eve was taken from his side. Adam was not independent of the woman either, nor the woman of the man, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. For as the woman was from the man, so also the man is through the woman, but all things are of God. So in other words, a man cannot say women are not necessary because every man is born through a woman. Simple. And if you don't have a woman, you have no more human race. And if you don't have a man to get together a woman, there's no more human race. We're both tied together. Not stuck together. We're tied together. All right? Adam was to be aided by Eve for life then. The word um, in the old King James help me here, um, uh, a helper comparable is one to help or to simply aid. The designation is precise and unmistakable here for Adam. The phrase is found eight times in the Old Testament, generally indicating a military assistance. Ezekiel 30 verse 8, uh, 32, 21 and the phrase is found for the military assistance of God in Psalm 79, 9. So there's a great um, benefit that comes uh, in, in a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, as they come together under God's order. Now, Eve was to be Adam's contentment also in sexual oneness during life. To be known in a way that no other man would ever know her, Genesis 2, 24 and 25. They were both naked, not ashamed. The two becoming one flesh by the most intimate union of a man and a woman in carnal knowledge that 
is only fulfilled in opposite sexes. The perfect fit, if you will. Face to face in full commitment to each other in marriage, celebrating their love without any shame or any regret. A union of not just physical bodies, but spirits and souls stamped indelibly forever in the minds and emotions of that person. You don't forget. God intended that way. That's why fornication is a sin against your own body in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. You sin against your own body because your body was made for God and for marriage. You see? Now, thank God for the grace of God, huh? The majority of us would be dead. So God makes the difference in Christ Jesus. Now, it's also to be strengthened in the commitment in love and affection for each other, expressing their passion and tenderness towards each other, uh, expressing their commitment and their constant delight, their pleasure, their physical uh, uh, changes through life. They move along with them. It's not this cultural mentality, I'll trade you in on the new model, you know? Uh, it's, 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 it's a weird, a weird, cruel aspect of man. Endeavoring to please one another, not forgetting the commitment to romance, affirming the contentment of one another. The Song of Solomon, the Proverbs are full of very explicit, detailed things for the honeymoon night. But also to bring forth children and their love and their commitment. An incredible combination as you have experienced, those of you who have been married and parents. You have no idea what your children are going to look like. You get married and all of a sudden you have a child. And when he's a baby, you can't tell what he looks more like the mom or the dad or anything. But then as they began to grow and develop, you just see the resemblance of one or the other or both or the family traits and, and then the mannerisms and all of that. And, and, it's, and, and it binds you together. It's different to say, let's go see our kids, which brings a whole different problem today, added into the church with blended families, and to say, your kids. Because God has made the natural children to bind you together. So there's a whole dynamic that you as Christians who are blended families, you have to really trust the Lord and ask God for wisdom, because Satan will try to use that unnatural uh, union to divide you rather than to glorify him. So you need to pray. You ask wisdom and God will give you that wisdom. You see? God's not the author of confusion. He can do it. But it's our flesh that, that is selfish. Our flesh that, that brings the problems. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. What a joy it is to see through the years as your pastor, as we were all young in our early 20s, and, and we see people get married, and then they start having children, and then we just raised them in the church and just taught them and nurtured them and all that. And then they, they, they grew up and served in the church, and then they got married, and, and now they have kids, and they're serving in the church, and, and, and here you are now, your grandparents, and, and some of the grandkids are serving in the church. What a joy that you ladies, and we commend you as mothers, that you have kept this going, that example now. The next generation has a decision on its own. You can't force anybody to follow. 
But what a joy that we see the second, the third generation. I was just talking with my grandson yesterday. I said, you know, you're the third generation, Gage. I said, your grandpa wasn't a Christian, but I, then I became a Christian. And then your mom. And now here you are. Three generations. that you walk with God and you keep it going. Amazing. It has been said that um, a woman is to a man what a pillar is to a building. If it is placed in the right place, it supports the weight of that building. An important part of the building. But if that pillar is placed in the wrong place, it's of little strength and in fact can weaken the building. A woman lined up with the word of God brings support to the marriage. It brings strength to the children. Her love, her example, her submission to God. The ideal of God was ruined, as you know, by the fall in our amoral society of today. Men and women are, see each other as commodities to be used just for a time until they get tired or they find someone new instead of a loving companionship for life. Men and women communicate differently. But add the fact of both working, long hours in traffic, they have little time to communicate or speak or sometimes not even wanting to desire to do that. And problems begin. Young women of today are not looking for a man to care for them, protect them or provide for them. They want to make their own way. This is the culture. This is the indoctrination. Fearing to be left destitute of that man one day says, I'm out of here. Because of the history that has taken our nation in the past 50 years from the 60s on. A Christian woman is to line herself up with the design of God for marriage. Listen to Solomon 5.16. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This is the wife speaking about her husband, my friend. A husband and wife should be best of friends. Because of all they go through, all that they've been through, all that they will go through, all that they're committed to. The mindset of women today see themselves as competent to compete with a man or their husbands instead of compliments to their husbands. It's part of the education it's bombarded from the television, from the magazines, from the youth, from everything. The married woman of today sees herself as free and independent from a man, not as a helper or one with the man. There's an attitude of equals without distinction. Well, there's distinction and um, you're not equals. You're equals before God as men and women. But we're not equals in our roles. Women can only do certain things. Men can only do certain things. And then there's certain things that both of them can do, right? But there's a difference between a man and a woman. It's night and day. It's black and white. It's day and night. The woman of today sees submission as an insult and a sign of inferiority. Marriage is viewed as a contract, not as a commitment of love to God and one's mate. It's not a contract, it's a covenant with God and the woman and the man. That's why you have witnesses as your marriage. They're not there because you just want to have people there. I mean, I know their motivations are different, 
But the original thing is that those people sitting, they should be the first ones to get in your face if you want to dissolve this marriage. They're witnesses to your pledge. And you're wanting to dissolve that marriage, every one of them should call you up and say, what are you doing? That's what the guests are for. <laughs> That's lost today. Somebody calls up like that and says, it's none of your business. Or we threaten to sue them. The Christian woman is again to know God's word in order to recalibrate her heart and mind to God's word, lest she usurp the authority of her husband. Every one of us, when we came out of the world, we had a certain mindset by the culture, the education, the friends, the examples, the upbringing. And then we come to Christ and we're new creatures. And we begin to study the word of God so we can recalibrate our mind to the word of God so we agree with God. So that we live different than we did by the culture and by our upbringing that contradicted the word of God. The culture and the upbringing would brought and cultivated my sin nature to do and to be as I was. Now God wants me to be more like him. So the word of God is very important. That's why we spend time in studying the word of God. Not because we want to tick people off or get on people's nerves. We study the word of God. Christian is to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. Listen to um, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the Word, they without the Word may be won by the conduct of your wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied with fear. Do not let your uh, adornment merely be of the outward arraigning of the hair of gold and putting on apparel. Rather, let it be hidden person of the heart with the incorrupt beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So in other words, if you don't know the Lord, you're a daughter of, 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 of Eve. Rebellious. If you're born again, you're a daughter of Sarah. Submissive to God. Your submission to your husband is submission to God. But only in as far as the scriptures declare, not beyond the scriptures. The scriptures protect every woman. A woman doesn't submit to a man just whatever he says. The Bible tells the godly, when you submit what is biblical... What is honorable? That's what you submit to. Today, women are less content in marriage than any other generation. They are constantly taught this. that They can do anything a man can or even better than a man. It's a pitting of the, of the sexes. Our whole nation is pitting black against white, poor against rich. You name it. It's just been destroyed the last 10 years this way. They spend more years as women in the single arena than previous generations, experiencing more mental and sexual pollution, doubting that anyone could be happy with one, any one person because of so many choices of experience. You see, if you leave here today and you go out to lunch and you walk into a restaurant that has a menu of four things, five things, when the waitress comes up, you're probably going to be ready to order. 
But if they hand you a menu that has 25 choices, you're probably going to have to tell her to come back two more times. And then when they do bring your food, the minute they set yours down, you're going to look over to the person next and say, darn it, I should have ordered that. (laughs) Now, choices are good. But too many choices by personal experience pollutes us and corrupts us, makes things more foggy rather than clear. But the lie is experience, you make the right choice. Well, once you've been polluted so much, it's hard to make the right choice because the right choice has been obliterated and corrupted. Wow. Many opinions are in the world today, and most of them are contrary to Scripture. Many options are at the disposal to live the way any woman wants without any fear of society judging them because of the political correctness. I want you to keep notice that as we move through this, this is Genesis, but as we move to the New Testament, Paul will be teaching the exact same thing 4,000 years later. The same truth. Culture changed, but the Word of God never changed. The opinion of man's changed, but God's Word didn't change. Now, do you think that now, 2,000 years later from Paul, that that has changed? No, culture has changed, but the Word of God has not changed. It's the same standard. And every one of you ladies have to make a choice whether you're going to live under the standard of God or the standard of your culture. It's a choice that has very good consequences and bad consequences. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornication and adulterers God will judge. Hebrews 13 forces. So Eve was to be the helper of Adam. That was the whole purpose, the whole design. What, what's wrong with this plan? To receive the best, all the benefits, to have peace. That's what God had in store. Now, secondly, then we see that Eve was deceived. The commentary is in 1 Timothy 2.14. Listen to what he says. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, 4,000 years later. He gives us the interpretation, same standard. Do you think Paul was called a chauvinist pig? Guaranteed. He came out of the Hebrew culture. Jew of Jews, tribe of Benjamin. He lived in a Roman culture with a Greek subculture. You talk about corruption. You talk about um, licentiousness. We're probably equal right now to Paul's days. Now Eve allowed flattery to lead her astray. Flattery is a form of seduction and men do not flatter women in an attempt to seduce them in front of their husbands. Satan came when Eve was alone. She listened to the enemy. She conversed with the enemy. She added to God's word. She allowed God's word to be challenged and to be um, said to be a lie, really an exaggeration. She allowed God's love for her to be tainted. And she ultimately desired to be like God there in chapter 3 of Genesis. Eve acted in her own will without her husband, Adam. She had no right to her own will, but only God's will. 
I, as a husband, have no right to my own will, but only the will of God. Both the man and the woman. It's not one-sided. Eve was created to help Adam. Eve was created second, not first. Adam was made the head of creation. And we get this commentary here by Paul and Timothy. She had no right to act independent of him. Um, She was to speak to Adam, not initiate for him. She was to be dependent on her husband. Not because she was less intelligent, but for protection. As you know, there's a difference between a man and a woman, how we make decisions. Women make decisions more by emotion. And therefore, women receive the greatest consequences because when you make decisions by emotions, then she's more easily deceived. Now, men can be equally deceived. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying men never are deceived, but women are more deceived than men because we're two different creatures by design. But then you add the sin nature to it. It magnifies the weakness and the ability to be deceived. She had no understanding of what the magnitude of her actions would mean. Remember that the people that, the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What does that mean? These men knew what they were doing. They crucified hundreds of men all the time. They would take stakes and they would put them through their wrists and crucify them and mock them and and make them go through the most torturous death. They knew what they were doing. But they didn't comprehend the consequences of their action, how it would affect them and the world. And the same with a woman or a man. The things that are done is for the here and now. Understanding what you're doing, but not understanding how it's going to affect you down the road. There's the failure. Sowing and reaping. Innocence was ruined. The fall of man. The beginning of sin. Pain. Death. Now that's not what Satan presented. He presented, you'll be wise. Ooh, it tastes so good. Look at, ooh. Magnified the benefit. Minimize the consequence. He became an obstacle of God rather than a helper and would act worse now fallen she was to help Adam she was to be by Adam's side but Eve gave to Adam and he did eat now I want you to think through this when she partook of that fruit she was the first to know immediately she was different than her husband now She had a sin nature now. She could think evil. She didn't agree with God. And having known that drastic change immediately, she still gave to her husband. Wow. It's like you having leprosy. And rather than having your husband or wives away from you, you just get all over them so you can give it to them. You ever think about that? Wow. She knew Adam would be disobedient to God. And yet she still gave. 
Now, Eve was deceived, Adam transgressed. Eve was duped, but Adam knew what he was doing. So God holds Adam responsible for the fall, not the woman. Keep that in mind. Eve helped him to act contrary to God's word. She should have declared her failure to Adam, but rather used it to tempt him. She should have asked help of Adam, but rather she offered him to be like her. Darkness and light. If light does not stand, the darkness will overtake that light. You young ladies and young men, if you are single, you think you can date non-believers and think you're going to win out and everything's going to work out, you'll be sorely, sorely surprised when you are corrupted and you're taken away from God. I've seen it year after year, decade after decade. In the church, outside the church. No different. Eve became party to sin and death. The initiator for herself, then her husband. The first in line of many to be born as sinners. Eve added much pain to both their lives. She would live in regret of her sin. She would see the long-term consequences of her sin and on her family personally. For she would give birth to Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, 1 through 8. And she would see her firstborn Cain kill her secondborn Abel. And they would have other children in Genesis 5, 3 after their likeness, sinful, fallen. Every time a woman has a baby, she brings in a new little rotten little sinner. Cute, but a sinner. Eve is mentioned by name only two times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. I don't think it's a coincidence. Listen to Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Her name literally means life. The second one is in Genesis 4.1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, meaning breath or vanity. Only two times she's named by name. The ones in the New Testament regard Eve and they are in the negative. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 and here in 1 Timothy 2.13 and 14. Now, be careful of the culture. All you young people that go to universities, you're around your peers, your friends, that tell you that we are, that the Bible is irrelevant, it's not it doesn't fit in society. It's archaic. We're a post-Christian nation. That's the problem. If you think what we're going through is something new, listen to Isaiah 3.12. Isaiah in judgment cries out, As for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Key chief characteristics of God's judgment over a nation. Listen carefully. Children are your oppressors. Women rule over you. It's talking about the men. Look at America. What's going on? Absolute judgment. Nothing new under the sun, right? Because we've abandoned the Judeo-Christian principles. We've explained the way, God. 
We've denied the affiliation of God and the scriptures to our constitution, our bill of rights. And so we've sown to the wind, we've reaped the whirlwind. Children are oppressors and women rule over men. Reversal of roles, everything. The woman today is flattered by the world and she is taken in for her own hurt. The lie of the magazines, ladies, the modeling industry, Hollywood. You're looking at that dress, man, if I can get that dress, oh, man, I'll be just that knockout. Right. Look at the lies of these women. The real lies. It's destroyed them. Cosmetic industry, plastic surgery comes, a booming industry. Nothing's ever enough. As if God made a mistake on how he created you. The face he gave you, the nose he gave you, the body he gave you. Look at the scary consequence of many of these operations. In fact, parents even give their daughters for graduating presents, breast augmentations or liposuctions or whatever. What kind of father would do that? What kind of mother would do that? I said, that's the value of the woman? God values you, lady, because he created you in his image and his likeness. Just as you are. Just as you are. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Colossians 3, 21. What an awesome responsibility of the head of the home. And you as mothers, as you're there lined up and you're there doing the majority of the work. I mean, I just, I just respect mothers like no other. I look at my own daughter and just the work that she puts in. Well, first my wife, as she was raising the children. And it just doesn't end from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. It just doesn't end. And yet, the product that you get after 18, 20 years, godly children, if they choose to walk with God, productive children, Young people, they're going to honor the Lord and be a, a value to the world, not a, an entitled person to take from the world. What a difference. Now, the same young ladies will one day be married and be mothers without Christ that we're talking about in the culture, which is amoral. They have already established their life philosophy of being, of being single all those years. The physical and self is a priority. So when they're joined to a man, he has to bend with it or it's not going to work. For the most part, there's always exceptions. Their daughters will be worse than they if they did not know the Lord. The only exception is if you're born again. Many of us experience that. My parents weren't Christians. My wife's parents weren't Christians. The Lord saved us and... We raise our children differently. Now we see our children raising their children differently. 
We're in the third generation. But if that third generation breaks and goes back in the world, the chain is broken, right? Because you can't force anybody to be a Christian. You can't force anybody to love God and honor God. You can't force anybody to believe the Bible as the highest authority for man. Ezekiel 16.44 says, Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you like mother, like daughter. That's not in the positive. It's not a compliment. It's a charge. The cultural indoctrination of women in our day has great consequences. Husbands now expect their wives to work. In fact, sometimes they want to be Mr. Mom and take care of the home and the wife works. Maybe she has a better education. Okay? She can pull in more greenbacks than him. Children are modeled and shaped into the humanistic secular indoctrination of education, care centers, nannies. Is it any surprise that the children are more like all these institutions than the mom and dad? You see, ladies, I gave you a statistic one time about um, if you, your children from the age of birth down to 18, I think you'll spend 36,000 hours with them. But if you aren't home with them, then you spend about 3,000 hours in 18 years. How much effect are you going to have on them? It's just real simple. You can't get away from it. It's not about being smart. It's not about thinking we we're better. It's a matter of facts. If you hang out with somebody long enough, you're going to be like them. If you don't hang out with them, they're not going to be like you. It's just simple. Genesis 3.17, the failure is in the man for not acting as head. God told Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Adam is the ultimate one responsible. Men are the ultimate ones responsible for the home. But God told Israel, because you, I made you head, but you acted like a tail, you've got the consequences. I wanted you to be head. So now I'm going to make you the tail. And your enemy is the head. Wow. The headship is never one of a tyrant. Not a control freak. Not some kind of dictator but the type of Christ who loves his wife takes care of her is there for her that's what the Bible teaches not the craziness that the world defines Christianity as Eve was deceived not Adam let's finish up with Eve the blessing in spite of all this here, First Timothy 2.15, it says, Nevertheless, uh, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So, the sin of Eve had a physical consequence. Are you ready for it, ladies? Childbearing pains. It was never intended. What God had was totally different. We'll never know how good it was going to be, but it's going to be a lot better than it is today. A reminder of her part in the fall. A small reminder of all the pain that would be introduced to the human race. A preview of pain in life. Also, 
a great potential to lose your life in giving birth to a child. Sometimes women die. Okay? All of this is introduced by the fall due to sin. God never intended it. The sin of Eve had spiritual consequences also, and that which are the most important. She acquired a nature of independence and rebellion to her husband. Eve would desire to usurp the authority of her husband now. Genesis 3.16 says, God says, Your desire, speaking to Eve, shall be towards your husband. And then to him, he shall rule over you. Here you have the effects of the sin nature in the fall. The meaning of the text has to mean the opposite of what God had established prior to the fall. Because this is the curse. The word desire means a stretching out after, a longing or desiring. Some say it's the sexual desire of the woman for her husband. I don't think so. Because the man has the stronger sex drive by the, as a norm, not the woman. The man initiates. That doesn't mean a woman can. But the norm is the man has a stronger sex desire. But also, her sexual desire for her husband Adam prior to the fall was already to the max the way it should have been. Plus, he was the only man. Okay, this is the curse, not a blessing. The word is used two other times in the Old Testament. Once in Genesis 4, 7 and Song of Solomon 7, 10. In Genesis 4, 7, it's to illustrate the longing desire of sin over the control of Cain. Why is your countenance fallen, Cain? Sin lies at the door. And his desire is to control your master you. Think what you're going to do, Cain. Sin is like a ravenous beast ready to leap upon his prey. That's the picture there. That's the second time it's used. A desire for the evil. Then in the Song of Solomon 7.10, the third and last is for the groom, his sexual desire for his bride on the honeymoon night. Nothing wrong with that. Those are the only three places this phrase in the exact grammatical structure is used. So here it's for usurping the authority of her husband. The context and subject of this first appearance is a curse. Now the woman fallen sees herself in competition and not in completion. Sin nature. Now Adam wants to control her. Rather than to serve her. Here you have the battle of the sexes. Women's liberation. Male chauvinism. Sin nature. Wow. The sin of Eve would be atoned by a woman bearing the Messiah. Though the scripture tells us also in the New Testament. Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbirth. If she continues in faith, love, holiness and self-control. And that's for both the man and the woman. In other words, through the, though the fall came through Eve, women can be saved as they believe in Messiah. So in other words, God did not punish the woman eternally for what she did because she was deceived. Adam transgressed. It's not, the, it's not called the fall of Eve. It's called the fall of Adam. 
Adam's the federal head. Mary brought forth her firstborn, conceived of the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And Matthew 1, 22 to 23. Fulfillment of the promise of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman is very clear. It's a woman who will receive seed, but not by a man. The woman has the egg. The man provides the seed. That's the first prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall bear a child. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew ties it all together. So women like men can be forgiven and redeemed by trusting and believing in Messiah. The woman's not inferior to the man. God does not curse her or hold her in a greater responsibility than the man. They are one. The weave was the instrument of judgment. The woman is chosen as a vessel for redemption. God is incredible. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the classic example of the instrument of judgment and redemption as he paid the price for your sin and mine as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 3, it says, because you are holy. And Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. This is absolute objective truth that will change your eternity and it will never be irrelevant, regardless of the culture. But it's up to you to decide whether it's valid and real or not. No one can make that decision for you. Paul tells us Timothy. He gives them the order of the role of women in 1 Timothy 5, 13 through 14. Again, the standard is 4,000 years later. Okay. Now, from Paul's day, we're 2,000 years later. Do you think anything has changed? No. Has the culture changed? Yes. For the good? No. For the worse. But God's word is still authority. It's still valid. It's still truth. The woman with time on her hands and no priorities can add to their hurt. Verse 13 tells us there in 1 Timothy 5, 13 and 14. Gossiping, busybodies, okay? Simple. Now, do you think Paul was saying that because he hated women? No, because it's sociological and uh, sociological fact. It's just it's fact. Now, that doesn't mean men don't gossip. That doesn't mean men can't lie. Okay? He's dealing from the aspect when women have time on their hands. Idle. The woman's divine role is given in verse 14. Three things are stated. Here it is. He's talking to women who were not Christians. Now they're Christians. Women who were pagan. Now they're godly. Women who came out of sexual sin. Now they're chaste. Women who just blasphemed God. But now they confess God. He says this. Mary, bear children, and manage the home. Three things. The phrase manage the home comes from the word which means head of family in the sense of Guiding the home. Managing the household affairs. In other words, a housekeeper. Did Paul want to keep the woman down? Yeah, keep her pregnant, barefoot, and don't let her go out the front yard. That's not. Well, that we laugh at it, but that's the concept of the secular world for against us. Which is totally unbiblical. Now, you may be a stayer at home. And another woman may be working because they have to. 
and the woman working could be doing a better job at home than you is stay at home and don't work. So it's not just in the fact that you stay home. It's in the fact, are you being godly? Are you being that helper? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you obeying God? Are you doing what you're supposed to? And the reason given is that no opportunity be given to the adversary to speak reproachfully or blasphemously. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian and then people look at you and they see that you really are, are, are contradicting the word of God, then they blaspheme God. They speak bad about Christianity. That's what he's saying. Titus 2, verse 2 through 5. Paul tells Titus the order and the role of women also. Now, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are important because they're the epistles to the church, how to conduct yourself in the house of God for leadership principles and everything. In verse 2 and 3, he says that eight women are to teach by word and deed. In other words, what you say, you live out. What you live out, you say. That makes it one. It makes it authority. And your children are the first to know whether you're living out what you're saying. doesn't matter what anybody else sees or believes. Your children will know. Your husband will know. Your family knows. Aged women are to teach specific things. Here they are. To be sober, meaning sound-minded. Love their husbands, their own, not others. Love their children. Be chaste, meaning self-control, moderate of opinion and passion. To be uh, chaste means uh, also innocent, modest, Clean, pure. To be, to be keepers at home is literally what's saying. The word there uh, appears one time in the New Testament, right here. And uh, it's to dwell at home and keepers of home. In common, good classical Greek, it's translated a stayer at home. That's insulting to women today. So often because of the culture. As if Christians want to limit women. That's not what it's about. Listen to me. The nucleus of society is the home. Society is a reflection of the home. Society is all jacked up because the homes are all messed up. When homes have been sound, society is sound, even though they may not be all Christians. It's real simple, it's not that difficult. To be good and kind, that's what it means. To be obedient, submissive, hupotasso, military term. The reason being, again, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Simple. Now, Peter tells women of his day that they are no longer daughters of Eve, as I said earlier, but Sarah's. Um, women of faith, obedient. Uh, it says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. In First uh, Peter 3, 6. Um, obeying, again, hearing under, not as a slave, but because they see the wisdom of God's design in a submissive, loving atmosphere. The principle, remember, like mother, like daughter. The submission of godly women is said to be fitting in Colossians 3.18. Proper, appropriate. Have you ever been in a family or a public arena where your child is there and they say or do something that is so inappropriate for the context that you look and you say, what were you thinking? Well, he says a woman in submission to her husband is very appropriate, very fitting. It's what's to be. It is used two other times in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 4 and Philemon, verse 8. 
The submission is unto the Lord according to the scriptures. Again, Ephesians 5, 21, two ladies. Your protection, women and ladies, is the scriptures. You are to submit to your husband only what is scriptural. If a husband tells you he wants the wife swap, you tell him to go swap his head. You don't submit to that. You submit to what is scriptural. He should not be asking of you anything that is not scriptural. Simple. Submission is to be a beautiful oneness with the authority of the husband, but never having to demand it or fight for it. The man is the head, the initiator, the woman is the body, the responder. A woman has always been under someone's protection and is still under many societies, whether it be her father or the family. Who is a woman protected against? Men. Men want to seduce women, bottom line, if they're left alone. And so when society breaks up and women are given more liberty, then young women are defiled because they become the hunt, hunted. It's the way it is. Now our corruption is so our culture is so corrupted that it's reversed. Now it's the women. And one day, and if they're not born again, they're going to be moms. And what examples to the next generation? As we look to our society, how long can it hold together? It's so disintegrated. It's so corrupt. But Christianity has always existed in cultures like this, okay? And they've stood. They haven't allowed the culture to corrupt them. They've come out of the culture to the light. Out of the darkness to the light. But they could believe the word of God was relevant and the authority even in their day. The Proverbs are full of good counsel. An excellent wife is a a crown to her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 12, 4. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one pulls it down with her own hands. Proverbs 14, 1. The solution is one and only one for a godly woman. Here it is. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so you cannot do what you wish. If you're a godly woman, then your allegiance, your obedience, your submission is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that to the Lord... Everything else follows easily for a husband. And the same with a husband, with a wife, and their roles, respectively. No different. Eve was the blessing through Adam. You see, they're tied together. You can't separate them. One affects the other. Because one completes the other. One. What an important truth. And what a complete picture we get regarding a man and a woman, God's intention from the beginning of creation to the New Testament where we get the absolute picture of Christ being the one who can make all the difference in the world. Eve was to be the helper of Adam. Eve was deceived, not Adam. Eve was the blessing through Adam. And so, ladies, I commend you for your example through the years, as I've been your pastor for almost 40 years. 
And I've seen when we were all first in our 20s and we raised our kids and, and, and great expectations and aspirations. And, and none of us would ever think that our children were never going to walk with God. But some of our children have not walked with God. They've chosen to walk away from God, walk apart from God. But you, you've stood as a lighthouse. Because your children will get in trouble if they don't walk with God. And hopefully they can look back and see the saving light of your home, of your life, ever fixed as a lighthouse for the ships and the storm. And what a joy it is to see those of our children who do walk with God. And then they go on, they get married, and they're in the church, and now they're children. But Christianity is always one generation away from extinction, right? So our hope is in God. We never minimize the word of God. We exalt God's word. It is the ultimate authority over us. Culture is irrelevant. I hope you have not allowed the culture to seduce you, young women, married women, mothers. Your daughters are listening and watching you as well as your sons. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you would deal with our hearts. Thank you for these ladies and moms and Lord, just their sacrifice, the hard work, everything, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Maybe you don't know the Lord, you know, and you, you might be a good moral person. But unless you ask Christ to forgive you and to come into your life, then you'll live by your own options, by your own standards, by your own opinions. And you have very little resources to accomplish those things. And so if you believe that Jesus is God who became man and died for your sins and rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can be saved. You can call upon him. He will make all the difference in the world. But you're the only one that can make that choice. And so if this is you, you want to be born again and ask him to forgive you, this is your prayer to him. And he's going to make a new creature of you right now and make you a daughter of Sarah, no longer a daughter of Eve. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to walk into the family. There's a brother to my right, your left, by that door. Love to give you that Bible free and uh, share some important things for your growth. If you have any questions, he'll dare answer them. And um, tonight, no service. Spend time with uh, your moms if you still have them. Uh, my mom's still around. She'll be 91 in August. Incredible. Crazy. Never in my wildest dream. Enjoy while they're here. God bless you. If you have questions or prayer, I'll be up here in front. See you during the week.